Welcome to Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. I'm Salwa Khan. We're looking in the soil, around trees, in forests, under leaves today for fungi. The term fungi encompasses a number of organisms, including bad fungi that damage plants, fungi we eat, also known as mushrooms, and mycorrhizal fungi, which are found in the soil. Almost every plant on Earth, whether in a forest, a desert, garden, farm, or roadside, depends on mycorrhizal fungi. These fungi help plant roots absorb water and nutrients from the soil. In return, plants supply carbon to the fungi. They're an essential part of the soil food web. My guest is Philip Balke, president of the Central Texas Mycological Society. This group's mission is to educate others on the benefits of the good fungi, mushrooms, and of course, mycorrhizal fungi. My conversation with Philip began by talking about the different types of fungi in the soil. There are several kinds of important fungi in the soil. Uh, one of, well, the parasitic fungi uh, in the soil are usually the ones that we kind of tend to think about, um, and those would be the plant pathogens, the ones that take take uh, eat eat our roots and and cause root rots and, and things like that. Maybe mold on the surface of the leaves and things like that. And those are usually due to environmental conditions, um, either too much moisture, too damp, or just poor soil for the plants that you're trying to grow at that particular moment. Um, but if we increase soil organic matter and things like that, uh, we will get an increase in the second type of fungi, which are the decomposing fungi. These are the ones that break down organic matter uh, and return it and just simplify it. A lot of the times they're breaking down uh, the lignin and the cellulose in from plants, uh, which are very complex molecules that are really hard for um, uh, orga like uh, uh, certain organisms to break down. They're just too complex to um, the chemistry is too much that only the only the fungi are able to unlock the sugars that are uh, held up inside inside the wood or the in the, in the leaves. Um, and so they're an important source of returning nutrients that were uptaken from the soil and returning them back to that soil biosphere. Um, you know, insects eat on that mycelium. Um, uh, other bacteria, other fungi, um, it's, they play an important role in, in, in tying together that web of, of life. Um, and then the third kind of beneficial fungi are the, um, are the mycorrhizal fungi. These are the symbiotic fungi. There are two main kinds. There's the ectomycorrhizal fungi. Uh, these fungi form a sheath on the outside of the, of the, the root systems of plants. Um, and these are the ones uh, that when we walk through the woods, we'll actually find uh, mushrooms that they produce. So a lot of the boletes, which are a type of mushroom that when you pick them up, instead of gills on the bottom, they have pores. Uh, a lot of uh, those fungi are mycorrhizal fungi. So if you see those in the root systems of your trees, you know they have a symbiotic partner that's uh, helping bring nutrients to the roots of the trees. Um, and there are many kinds of those. Uh, truffles are another uh, kind that people are maybe more familiar with, uh, but they are also one of these uh, ectomycorrhizal species. 
Uh, another really important endomycorrhizal or mycorrhizal species are the endomycorrhizal species, like I just uh, said. These are they grow on the inside of the of the of the plant roots. Uh, Ninety-five percent of uh, all plant species form a relationship with these uh, fungi. Uh, so they are really important. Um, they don't actually produce mushrooms above the ground. Um, so we can only see them when we look at soil samples and, and uh, with a microscope. But these fungi are amazing. They are responsible for uh, the majority of the mineral uptake that plants experience and actually breaking down and making bioavailable those minerals in the soil. So they're an important uh, way to close the loop on, uh, say, our phosphorus cycles and our uh, potassium cycles in the soil um, because, because th they are able to tap into these sources of those uh, uh, macronutrients for the plants that are bound up in, in rocks and they're, they're not bioavailable and the fungi help make them bioavailable so they're able to pull them up and uh, use them in their bodies. Whereas right now we have to, especially on a large scale agriculture, we have to usually replenish the phosphorus from some sort of uh, mined resource, which is qu quickly dwindling. Um, so yeah, those are, and another really important thing that these uh, endomycorrhizal fungi do is they secrete a molecule that acts like a glue that binds soil particles together, um, on, you know, kind of like in this is a secondary glue that the all the bacteria that are in the soil they make to kind of build build these microparticles. These soil these soil uh, fungi these endomycorrhizal fungi they help build a macroparticles of soil and glue all of that together. And that glue also happens to be a, an extremely important carbon sink. So if we work, if we can get all our soils across this continent and really across the, the globe um, uh, growing in this way that is a carbon, uh, is actually a carbon sink and we could sequester a lot of our atmospheric carbon um, that is obviously causing us a lot of you know, troubles on the planet today. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm here today with Philip Balke, president of the Central Texas Mycological Society, and we're talking about fungi of all kinds. For these good fungi, how do we, or how can we encourage their growth in the soil? Are, are there things we can do? Oh, most definitely. Um, yeah, there are several methods of encouraging them. Like one is just making sure you have some native trees and shrubbery around because those, if they were able to, uh, if those trees are, and plants were able to grow up there, there's likely to be those organisms that they've already made those connections with. And just having them around and having the, the space for earthworms and other arthropods uh, and or, you know, arthropods in general to come and, and bring the spores into your soil, they'll show up there and they'll start growing there. So there are products you can buy uh, to use as inoculum. My personal favorite because I've used it in the past and they have uh, an OMRI certified option 
is the Bioorganics. Uh, that's the brand name, and they have several different kinds. Uh, they have one, uh, like I said, they have the one that's OMRI listed, and that's just mycorrhizal fungi, and um, and then they have one that's more of a broad spectrum landscape inoculant that's not OMRI listed, but it's also just as good. And I like it because it has that broad spectrum, not only uh, the mycorrhizal fungi, but some other uh, ectomycorrhizal fungi and beneficial bacteria. I like the, the bioorganics brand is pretty good and you can get it and it's relatively cheap um, and to use it um, the best the recommended way uh, is to use it as soon as you can so like if you on your seedlings um, you can either mix it into like a soil drench and, and inoculate it that way or you can kind of dip your your seedling root ball in the powder um, if you have a bigger tree you can just sprinkle table like a tablespoon around the outside a couple tablespoons around the outside just mix it back in with your backfill it's great great stuff very versatile highly recommend it um, and and then is it is it something that once you've inoculated the soil with it it's going to stay there or is it something you have to you know keep adding uh, once you inoculate it if you're doing other things to keep the soil uh, protected and adding more organic matter, you shouldn't need to reapply a lot of this inoculum unless okay. you're like starting more seeds. So like if you were say an organic farmer or something like that, and you were constantly putting in annuals or like doing right. a new crop of tomatoes each year, you would go ahead and probably want to inoculate that each season because then you're going to get, you're going to know your plants are, um, you know, introduced to that inoculum, whereas like you might, uh, and it'll help them grow quicker in that, like in the nursery setting too. I also saw an article on your website about using uh, soil fungi, I guess, to remove uh, invasive species. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So actually what we were doing with that is taking one of those saprobic, the ones, the decomposer fungi, saprobic is just the a biological word for eats dead things, which I guess kind of <laughs> refers to a, a lot of us unless we're plants. Um, but yeah, so the uh, we were using a, a decomposing fungi to, to, instead of like use an herbicide to treat the, what was the stumps that was left over, to go ahead and okay. just try and introduce um, a fungi that would just start eating it down, like and breaking down that wood as quickly as possible, uh, and not give it the uh, the invasive plants a chance to grow back up. And so that's what we were doing. Um, and from what I can tell, uh, it, it seems to be working. That was a little bit more of a uh, kind of like a trial and a, a test, a pilot study, if you will, where we didn't right. we hadn't set up a control or anything like that. But we definitely hope to do more of that uh, in the future and kind of help develop some, uh, hopefully some land management protocols that could be implemented on a larger scale. The Mycological Society, uh, you hold meetings and you uh, have these walks that you mentioned. Can you talk about what happens at these meetings and the walks? What uh, Can you describe some of the activities or <clears throat> subjects that you deal with? Yeah. So on the walks, we, uh, or let's see, I'll, yeah, on the walks, we just meet up and we we kind of go over some of the basics of Mushroom ID, like 
what characteristics to look for, um, what, you know, where to look for in, in the wilderness. Uh, uh, um, and then some of the different, and then once we, you know, say what to look for, we kind of go into the differences between the different fungi. And then that's, you know, just like with plants, that's how you identify them. You're listening to Mothering Earth. My guest today is Philip Balke, president of the Central Texas Mycological Society. And we're talking about mushrooms and fungi. But right now it's time for a break. We're back now. This is Salwa Khan. You're listening to Mothering Earth. My guest today is Philip Balke, president of the Central Texas Mycological Society. And we're talking about fungi in all its uh, various forms. Let's turn to the mushrooms we eat. Uh, my personal favorite is shiitake because of the flavor and the sort of texture, the chewiness. Um, can you talk about some of the other edible mushrooms, the one we can buy, ones we can buy at the store, uh, in terms of what nutritional value do they have? Yeah. Um, well, mushrooms are a really, really good source of protein. Um, they, so yeah, if you're looking to have a substitute, you know, remove meat from your diet, uh, looking to, towards mushrooms is a really good place. Right. It's a really good food group to actually go look for. Um, uh, and also, if you're trying to cut down on fats, they're also another good one because they're, they're lean protein. They almost have no fats in them, um, which is important to know also, I guess, on the flip side of that, uh, to if you are trying to replace meat in your diet with fungi, that you're going to need to substitute a little bit of that fat that you're not getting from the meat. Hmm. Uh, so like oils, nuts, and things like that. Um, but uh, yeah, so another really important thing to know about eating fungi are that you you must cook them because, like I mentioned earlier, they have a cell wall that is made out of chitin, and mm -hmm. in that chitin, that chitinous cell wall is really tough. So like it's uh, and we can't digest it. So if you eat raw mushrooms, say like on your salad or whatever. It's not harmful per se, but it's not, you're not getting the full nutritional benefit. It's just kind of like uh, a fancy fiber, if you will. So it's not doing anything bad, but it's not there. Uh, you're not getting the full bang for your buck. So yeah, make sure you cook all your mushrooms before you eat them uh, and cook them fairly well. Um, one of my preferred method of cooking fresh mushrooms is to um, just on a dry pan, simmer or saute the mushrooms there first and kind of like get the water out of them, get the steam out of them because fresh mushrooms are 90% water. Uh, mm -hmm. So they, that's can, like some people like the texture, the slimy texture that they get, but if you are one that who doesn't like that, uh, doing this will kind of help crisp crisp them up a little bit um right. and then after you after you notice the water is kind of out of them and they've kind of wilted a little bit then you add your 
butter or olive oil or whatever your preferred uh, oil for cooking is or for your whatever dish you're cooking. Um, so that's just kind of like broadly uh, what to do with fungi. Um, but some other methods, uh, like really the, the bottom line with cooking and eating them is like you want to make sure you cook them all the way. Um, so roasting them in the oven is really good. Just like kind of you can kind of make chips. They get a little crispy and then you can get as crispy with them as you want or as soft as you want in that method. Just like a little bit of olive oil some salt, some pepper, and your whatever mushrooms you pick, and, and you right. just put them in the oven and roast them, you know, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just kind of your, you know, watch them and get to your preferred uh, level of crispiness. That's another fun recipe that's pretty simple. Um, but, you know, and like, so, but then when you start to do, get into foraging, you can kind of, there's other mushrooms that you'll get into, uh, like another, a really popular one that uh, when I, I've shared with some people is the chicken of the woods mushroom, which is the right. bright orange mushroom that you'll find around here in central Texas growing on oak trees is where I found them. Um, and they're really, really good. They're kind of thick, uh, thicker, spongier texture than say like the bud mushrooms that you get in the store. Um, and so you would, I, you would marinate them a little bit uh, and and honestly just treat it kind of like you would chicken. And then uh, I've fried them like with a batter, a bread batter, and they kind of come out like fried chicken. And, and so really? and, yeah, just really good that way. So you can kind of get creative and you can certainly do like a batter of an oyster mushroom also, which are, which is another really common one that you probably find uh, at the local grocery store uh, in mm -hmm. Austin at least, you know, or like Whole Foods or Wheatsville or something like that. You're listening to Mothering Earth. My name is Salwa Khan, and today I'm here with Philip Balke, president of the Central Texas Mycological Society. Uh, and we were hearing about some really good recipes for mushrooms. Um, what if, uh, oh, one question I have is that I've, I've been told that uh, when I buy mushrooms, bring them home, that I shouldn't wash them, that I should just wipe them off with a paper towel or something. Is there some harm in washing mushrooms before you cook them or eat them? Um, they are just going to get really waterlogged. They're going to act like a little sponge and soak up more water and just be and get really, really soggy. So I, that's generally why people recommend not washing them. It's mm -hmm. just not necessarily harmful, but it, it can make it a little bit harder to cook with them, I, I would say. Um, okay. With that being said, if you're like foraging and you get some that are just extremely dirty, but you really wanted to uh, pick them and try them anyway, because they're the only samples you could find, uh, you could wash them and then dry them in like a salad spinner or something like that. And then uh, pat them with paper towels or something to draw out as much water as you can. And, and that'll help get them clean. Um, but Jenner, like, uh, I would rec I would also say, you know, if you can get from a, a smaller grower, the better, because those industrial mushroom growers are exactly that, industrial agricultural operations, thus coming with all the pitfalls of industrial agriculture as far as pesticides and, and things to maintain that monoculture in a, in a controlled environment. So something to be mindful of when buying mushrooms at 
uh, large grocery chains and whatnot. What if I decided I wanted, uh, rather than buying them, to to grow my own mushrooms? What uh, can you give us a little idea of what it would take to do that? What kind of um, location do I need? You know, what kind of equipment or supplies? Yeah, for sure. Um, really, people have been growing mushrooms in their closets for a long time. And uh, I think it probably goes maybe without saying that it was people were growing illegal mushrooms in their closets for a really long time. But a lot of the skills, they translate over to culinary mushrooms. So we've kind of been blessed with this uh, wealth of knowledge from the underground, if you will, about ways to do really small scale at home grows for whatever kind of mushrooms uh, we would like. Um, so you can, and, which I guess is kind of a way to say is it can get as complex as you really want it. Um, the the you- simplest method is you take some brown rice flour and mix it with some vermiculite and you boil it for a little bit and you poke some holes in the lid of a jar and you introduce your inoculum through that hole in that in the lid. And a couple of weeks later, if you boiled everything correctly, you should have a clean enough substrate that your inoculum will take off and you'll be growing mushrooms. And you can actually grow uh, a, not a lot of mushrooms that way, but you know, to get your first taste of some oyster mushrooms that you grew yourself, it's very simple to do that. Now, if you do want to start getting more in depth, um, or if maybe you wanted to start off uh, with uh, a, a larger amount of mushrooms that you grew, I would go ahead and just order a mushroom grow kit from Fungi Perfecti, Mushroom Mountain. Uh, there's lots of vendors out there that sell mushroom spa- uh, spawn by or mycelium by the bag and you can that's meant to be just opened up and fruited right there and that can also be a really good way to kind of get your first taste while mm-hmm. you're um, just learning about it I would highly recommend uh, looking there's tons of resources online uh, the Paul Stamets mushroom cultivator books are really good radical mycology which is another book uh, by Peter McCoy has a whole section on mushroom cultivation that's really good. Can anybody sort of set up a mushroom patch outside? Or is or it seems like everything you're talking about is indoors, right? Outdoor cultivation is also a really good way to kind of get your first taste into it, or maybe the only thing that you do uh, with mushroom cultivation. So yeah, uh, like you mentioned, you can take you can buy some of this spawn, like I mentioned earlier, that mycelium online and. Uh, there are specific strains that work better for this. One of the most popular ones uh, is the Garden Giant or the Straphoria rugosa annulata. But if you just search for uh, Garden Giant mushroom spawn, mm-hmm. uh, you'll find you'll find what you're looking for. Um, and yeah, you just take that spawn and you kind of prepare a little space that's maybe in the shade, uh, somewhere it doesn't get direct sunlight that you can irrigate relatively easily and you just uh, sprinkle in a layer uh, you put lay down a layer of cardboard uh, put down a layer of this mycelium and then you put down a layer of mulch that you soak overnight uh, particularly if you can in some rainwater 
but yeah, soak it overnight and then kind of just repeat that process. And then if you keep it moist and watered, uh, in about six months, uh, when the temper and when the temperature and the environment's right, you get a flush or a, a harvest of mushrooms. I just wanted to have you say something about, you know, you were talking about foraging for mushrooms, about the uh, the dangers, I guess, of, you know, finding something that's not edible, that might be poisonous or dangerous. The advice goes, or I guess the saying goes, is there's old mushroom hunters and bold mushroom hunters, but there are no old, bold mushroom hunters. So kind of <laughs> take take you take you go you take the risk that you feel comfortable taking is the best way to put that um and but with that being said there are actually relatively few mushrooms that are poisonous enough to kill you only about one percent of all the millions of fungi species there are on this planet only about one percent are poison enough to kill you so if you can know what those look like and how to avoid them uh your odds of surviving increase greatly be warned unless you really know what you're doing do not eat mushrooms you find outside as philip balke notes there are many resources in books and online where you can educate yourself about mushrooms Please tell people you know about this podcast, and thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan, signing off for Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. Music